Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a food patriot to the natural world, and a person who would like a sane and kind food system that honors our ancestors and supports future generations. You know, what if a grocery store gave 100% of every sale back to the family or person who makes the food? In studio with us is uh, Kaylee Yang-Best, and she started Season Specialty Foods in St. Paul. Welcome. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, so what is co-retailing? Well, co-retailing is a, is a word that I coined uh, by pulling and, and putting together several different approaches that I've seen worked in other industries. Um, it's about helping local food makers get to market without having to worry about all the business uh, process and costs. So co-retailing helps local food makers get their products to the consumer much more quickly from the kitchen to the consumer and allows them to determine the price of the product, what that is. And then we try to sell that product at that price, and when it's sold, we give 100% of that back to the maker. Wow. And so where are you located? We operate a grocery store called Season Specialty Food. That's where we do a lot of our selling out of. And it's located on Grand Avenue in St. Paul. The address is 1136 Grand Avenue. Um, it is not too far from Lexington, if you know that neighborhood. Right, or um, Cafe Latte, one of our partners. There's just right. like six blocks west of that. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Okay, so what's the deeper story behind this? What's it? Yeah, how deep do you want me to go? Really? I want to go how deep we can go. I mean, um, it, it's... We've had fun conversations before, but a That's lot of right. this has to do with your mother and your yeah. mother's experience. So yeah. t- tell me, let's start there. It definitely starts with, with my upbringing. I mean, if you go back, I'm, I'm Hmong. Uh, that's my heritage. And uh, I'm a refugee. I came to this country when I was four years old. Um, and I remember parts of when we were in the refugee camps in Thailand. Uh, my mother would have a, um, a cart really a, a size of a small table, really. And that's where she sold pho broth. And, uh, you know, she'll wheel it around the, the refugee, you know, camp streets. And there are folks who are from outside the refugees come and visit the, the camp and will buy from her. And that's how she makes an income to support our family. Um, I think it's not so much the love of it, but it's really about a livelihood and making some, you know, income so that she can really carry our family of 11 kids. <laughs> Say that broth name again. It's called pho, and people ask me all the time, how do you say it? It's spelled P-H-O, and you'll hear some people say pho. Some people will say pho, and there's a bunch of other pronunciations, but I'd say don't worry too much about it. The reason that is is it's a little confusing because in Minnesota, especially in the Twin Cities, you've got two different dialects that have that word that are very similar. If you're Vietnamese, which is the cuisine that made pho, really popular in the United States and especially in Minnesota. It's pronounced a softer pho, phonetically F-U-H. And if you're Hmong, it's pho, which is a lot more stern and a little more staccato stop, so it's pho. Notice the two, very similar. If you aren't a native speaker, you won't be able to tell, and you're going to wonder how and which sound you make. And then the phonetic spelling of the Vietnamese word pho is spelled P-H-O, and a lot of, you know, the English language calls it pho. And I understand all three, and I'm sure many of them do too. So just say You say it. tomato, I exactly, say tomato. Exactly, very similar. Very, and very and similar. we'll be talking more about this because all food is personalized, and we have this right. complex world and this personalized. But I want to hear more about what. how did your mom yeah. make 
Fa and 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 what was what was that experience like? She, she made it in there. I mean, I, I can't remember a lot of because I was just a child. But the hot broth was right in that cart with her. And seriously, it is like a two by four cart, and it's about you know three feet high. And so there's a big pot right in there uh, with the broth. Most of the time, it's chicken broth. And it's really country broth because it's not a lot of flavoring in it. If you go into the city, like in Bangkok, it's just loaded with other things. But hers is very clean. It's really just chicken bones that's been cooked for hours and hours. And you get real, you know, extraction of the nutrients out of the bones and the marrow out of that chicken. It's really, really healthy. And she makes it right there. (laughs) She makes it right there. I don't know how she does it. I can't remember a lot of it. She and I haven't had story, the time to think of, talk through that at, uh, at all. Uh, I think it's buried in, in both her memory and mine. We've been in this country for over 35 years. And so, you know, when I started making food myself, I started going back through my memories and starting having these conversations with her about recipes and how she was able to carry the family all those years with that little fur cart. Um, and so then all the other ingredients are right beside her, and she'll make it into a little plastic bag. The noodles, all the condiments that you usually see in pho, which are you know herbs and lettuce and all these vegetables are added as a topping with a little bit of the meat, the chicken itself, and then it's a load of broth on to, uh, you know that completes the whole whole meal, right? Um, and I love that. That's that's that warms me. That comforts me. And I eat that stuff growing up. She still makes it when I was you know as we were all growing up and she makes it from her garden all the herbs and the spices and we'll go to a farm and get fresh chicken rather than the ones that are in the store that's who knows where it was or how it was and treated transported or treated and frozen for how many you know so freshly you know ingredients it's just it's it's wonderful it really really cures your soul you think about chicken noodle soup when you're sick well try bra uh, try pho pho <laughs> is going to get to the soul of you and pho. that's that's yeah that's what i grew up and i didn't see that in the stores when i'm sick i'm not going to get dressed and go to a restaurant and eat it <laughs> and you know my mother's getting old and so as i think about that and thinking about future generations how are we going to do that you know we can't all go out and eat in a restaurant all the time and so I started learning how to make it, and um, you know, now that I'm also a mother and busy, I'm like, I can't do that anymore. So how do I help others make this? How do I have it that it's clean but healthy but still in the stores? Because I don't see that in the stores. Do you well, see pho broth anywhere? No, I do not. Exactly. I do not. I do not. And and this idea of what you said is you're so busy. And one of the things that Food Freedom Radio is working on is lazy good food. Because, you know, it, I love I mean, that. I term. love it too. I love, I love it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Some people are like, no, don't use lazy. Use no. easy. It's like easy use. Yeah. I like lazy. Because yeah. sometimes, I mean, it's actually very lazy just to go out in the yard, grab whatever vegetables are forward, because you're in kind of that. That little vibe, and and, and it's, it can be lazy to to forage for some greens in the city. Yes, that's right. And you know the whole process of going into your garden, even if you have to just pick a few leaves of mint or something to make something, it's so mentally gener- you know, uh, replenishing, replenishing, it is. grounding. Yes, that's why I love making food. Uh, take your time to do it. That that's why but, I think uh, that's why we came up with seasoned and this concept of co-retailing is. One, how do you help preserve that food making, local food making and the maker? Who is going to pass on that artistic talent of making food? And, yes, they can perfect that and change that over time to match the generations and match the times. But it's carried on and passed on. How do we do that? 
we can only do that if the maker can make a living wage and can you know recoup the cost in making that right. Well, and let's talk about that because that is one of the big problems with the local food movement. Yeah, is it is is it an easy place to make a lot of money? No, no. As a local <laughs> maker myself, as I said, I do the bone broth, the chicken bone broth, and vegetable broth with that. You can use it as a sipping broth and just drink it, or you can use it in pho, as we talked about. Um, I also make a noodle. For a kit that shows you how to make that broth at home by yourself. So you know it's lazy food making, but it's a little supported. So that if right. you didn't know and aren't familiar with this, then you have some support at home to do this. And as I started out, it is really hard. I am still in the red after three years. And this, you've got a, a a very deep professional background. So tell us a little bit about your uh, deep professional background. Yes. As long as I can remember, I always <laughs> wanted to help people, and I've done that in different industries. But for the last 20 years, I've been in philanthropy. Um, I've worked in foundations. So I've worked for a corporate foundation, food-related to. I've worked for the United Way, which is also a very charitable organization. And I've worked um, at Bush Foundation, which is where I just left to pursue this concept of co-retailing and see how far and where I can take it. Right. And it's, you are an attorney as well. Yes. That was not currently practicing. I mean, I practiced for two years in the early 2000, but uh, I do have a legal background, which really helps in food. There's a lot of regulations. There's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, statutes that cover in this, but also the administration side of it as well. Okay. So all this, that Legal background, that depth of philanthropy, and you know that a food business doesn't make much money, <laughs> but you want to do a food business anyhow. And, and it's for the love. It's for the love of that food. Um, again, it's very comforting when I'm making it, but it's also eating it. Um, and I see a lot of that in other food makers. They do it because they love it. They do it because it's it's linked back to their ancestry. It's linked back to a tradition in their family, whether it's a very new tradition or one that is passed on from generations. They do it for that reason. But they soon realize that, hey, this is a very expensive hobby. I want it to be more than a hobby. (laughs) I want to share this. I want to get out there. And I don't think I want to focus on just making money, but I want to be able to actually cover, recover the cost of actually doing it and sharing it. Right. Uh, and, and that's their first goal. But but if they are really truly passionate and want to uh, move into a business or move into a career in doing that, it is very difficult to make money to live. I mean, I'm not talking about getting rich. I am talking about just, you know, livelihood, be able to pay the bills and have, you know, living oh, living wage. But it's well, very, very Rent hard. is incredible. I mean, just think about how much it costs right. now for rent. And then for, for people who do rent, the rent has gone up and the income has gone down. So you're dealing with the systematic, yeah. so many systematic um, um, inequities right. yes. in, in terms of that. Yeah. So it's really, it's really hard to... to launch a food business. I mean, first you have to figure out the production side, right? After the production, then you have to figure out how do you get that to market to the consumer. And right now, the prevailing approach on how food gets from the producer to the consumer is through a wholesale approach. What does that mean? It means that, you know, there are lots of intermediaries in the middle and they buy the food from the producer at as low a cost as they can get. And then it's marked up based on the cost of doing business. So they do need to do that, but then they do add on their so, margins and, as well. and we need to be taking a little bit yeah. of a break. Okay. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about how to support a vibrant local food system. With us is Kayla Yang-Best um, with SpecialtySeasonsFoods.com. China Sea 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the uh, seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, and very pleased to have in studio with us Kaylee Yang-Best. So, Kaylee, you are leaving a profession of 20 years of um, philanthropy. You're a lawyer to start a food business, and or not to start, but to continue your food business. And you know that doing a food business doesn't really pay a lot of money. That's right. And I do it for the love of it. I do a love of, of, of the f- making it of it itself, but the sharing of it. And um, so I started Seasoned, which employs a co-retailing approach. And I can tell you a little bit more about that in a minute here. But um, we're a startup. We're only five months old. But we're a startup that helps other food startups. So um, I say to a lot of investors and other philanthropists, which I've been in so long, I, I know how it works, is just to say, you know, when you invest in us as a startup, you're really helping the whole ecosystem so helping other startups. So your dollars go a long way. And right now, micro grants for startups, including Seasoned, is going to really, really be uh, critical. Because as we're figuring out ways to get to market, that cost you know, is, is something that, that is hard to bear alone. Uh, the ingredients in the production side of itself already costs us. And so if we can't get that to market enough to recoup some of that cost, Wow, all of the marketing and all these other, you know, costs that come into play in, in, in running a business just makes it really difficult for anybody to really launch. So you, we do need a, a big ecosystem to support it, and we have one. We're so lucky here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota to have an ecosystem. It's fairly new, and it's a little bit fragmented this time. at this time, I, my feeling is. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for a, a food startup to kind of know where to go, how to, how to access help and support. It is out there, but it's a little hard to tell uh, and to know. And so Seasoned, what we do is not only do we help you get your product to market really quickly as soon as you get licensure from the the state and have your product ready, we'll try to get it on the shelf right away with for you. Uh, but then we also connect you to different places, whether that's branding, uh, marketing, uh, uh, you know, getting you in front of other stores, uh, getting you in front of consumers so they can taste and understand what you're all about, what your food is all about. So it's it, we consider ourselves an ecosystem uh, player uh, supporting other businesses. We don't exist just for ourselves. Now, I'm a local food maker, so that's separate from seasoned. I mean, I make my products. Right. I struggle just like everybody else's. I use seasoned as a way to get my product out to consumers as well, just like all of the other makers. But uh, seasoned is a completely different concept and divorce from my product line in I itself. Yeah. So talk more about seasoned. Uh, seasoned, yeah, seasoned, uh, seasoned is just a physical space of which the concept of co-retailing comes to life. And one location, one physical location isn't going to change the power dynamics and change the way food gets from the producer to the consumer, but it's definitely a start. So what is co-retailing, right? We talked about that earlier. Co-retailing is a way for the makers to come together and bring their products to consumers without having to worry about the business aspect, this is the selling, the marketing, running, a, a, you know, the stand, run, you know, actually the transaction of selling does cost. If you think about a farmer's market setting, yes. the maker has to be there after making their food. I mean, makers are good at the production and they love it and they do that, as I talked about earlier. It's the love of making that food. Now they have to go figure out the business aspect, which is the selling of it. That's a lot of hats to wear because there's a lot of pieces that go into the business. So Season is going to take care of that for them. Make your product, bring it to us, we'll take care of the rest of it. 
And, well, and I've, I've said this several – I really credit the Hmong immigration for renewing the um, farmer's markets. Yeah. But it's really hard for a lot of those people. I don't think – I mean one of the things I've said is if you're in a position to, tip your farmer. If you actually grow vegetables and you go to the farmer's market, it looks very cheap. It's like – Yes, it is very cheap. I mean when I go over there, I try not to negotiate it down. I've seen no. some people do that and I'm like – Look, this person has been – they probably grew this thing, which means they're out there every day in the sun and growing this. That's, yes, they love this. But at the end of the day, for a bundle of green onions or a big you know, bundle of greens for $2, <laughs> how many bundles can you make to make a living? <laughs> so they do it for the love of it. And, and you know, if, if we can at least just pay for their time in that. That's 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 quite and, a bit. And a big part of um, your mission behind this is the mission of equitable mm-hmm. e- equity yep. and creating equity is a richer way to live in life. Yes, yes. And I, I specifically think about equity in this context of seasoned as, you know, I've seen over the years where uh, food that are made uh, from communities of color tend to kind of stay there and uh, – Folks that are from outside the community go and eat it there or buy it there, which is much cheaper. And that's the extent of their market for a lot of reasons. One, it may be that the maker in that community don't want their food to leave that community, which is fine. It's up to them. But I doubt that's the most, most of the cases. Most of the cases, they want to get it out into other markets. Who doesn't want to sell their products far and beyond so that they can actually make a living? And support their family and support the employees that they might have, one or two, or get more employees and grow. Well, here's the problem is for various reasons, regulatory, cultural differences, just, you know, some of the institutional infrastructure that we have that doesn't really recognize and or support food from different communities, that's that. those are some of the barriers. There are lots of other reasons. Um, and so for that reason, a lot of that culturally specific food, which is how we describe it, which has now become mainstream, continue to stay very very much, you know, by community, by right. neighborhood. Right, it's all boxes. It's, it's yeah, not it's, spreading it's as not well spreading. as it could. And, and yeah. we live in a society where we have a lot of rift and challenges, social challenges. But we have to have to recognize that there's a lot of new alliances and cross-cultural relationships, whether that's professional or personal that's been formed within the last several years because of our environment today. You know, there's mm-hmm. definitely different extremes, but there's a lot more love across cultures and across communities that I've ever seen before. Um, I'm fairly young still, but, you know, you know that's I, very encouraging I, to I, me. I, I, so I, I want to hear food. that again because, yeah. you know, you think about how many messages in the dominant public right now are about, oh, those other people and we're all doing this and uh, 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 all this fear messages. But there's actually more love out there, there isn't is there? I mean, I more. see it. We have a lot a more lot of... to do. I mean, like I said, oh, there yeah. are those extremes, but there are a lot more friendships that, that people are a little bit uh, – more willing to say, hey, with all of this stuff going, I'm going to reach out of my own comfort zone and see and see what happened. And they're more trusting in that way where they give it that chance. And that chance grows, right? Food is one of those things that bring people together. I've seen it. In the last two years that I've been doing this, it's the food that binds people. Say, okay, that's safe enough. I'm going to try it. And, yeah. yes, people think about equity and cross-cultural competency and, you know, cross-cultural awareness is much more than just the food, right? But, you know, if that's where you want to start and that's where you feel safe, I say go for it. And they, how delicious and how amazing that would be. It's the taste buds that hold that memory, you're going to remember that forever. Yeah, it's a common table. 
yeah. at Common Table Minnesota. And I'm going to – we're going to have to take another break, um, but I'm also going to do a, 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 a shout-out that Food Freedom Radio is going to be at the Minnesota State Fair at Yay! the Common Table, Yay! at the Common Dado Building, the Minnesota Eats Building, and we're going to be looking for lazy, good food recipes. So how do we – and I, I absolutely love this work about how do we – if we're going to want to eat, do we want to eat – if we're going to want to eat, I'm going to start with that question. But if we want to eat, do we want the people who we depend on to eat to also have a livable wage? Do we want the water to be clean? Do we want the pollinators to be fed? Do we want the soil to be rich? How do we make those interconnections and and live that love that's our birthright? So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. How many times I told you I love you But now you want to say that we Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song. So welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change and hopefully take the sad song and make it better. Because there's so many issues going on: climate change, the wildfires. How do we make it better? And it's with food. So let's talk about some of the food. We are with Kayla Yang-Best, um, and she has a uh, business, a social enterprise business called Seasons. And so let's talk about some of the food um, uh, available there. Thank you, Laura. So the things that you'll find at um, Seasoned, you probably won't find them in, in most other grocery stores. There's some products that you will. I mean, they're, they're pretty basic stuff that we want to have in the store as well because we want to have a one-stop shop for uh, shoppers that come into the store. It's not a gifty shop where you come once a year only. We want to be a grocery store, and we are. We have the dairy you know, and meat area. We have our produce. We've got all of our shelf-stable pastas, all kinds of stuff. But the actual product in each of those categories are slightly different than what you would find in the, the other stores. Um, for example, there's a couple items that only our store sells. So we have some pancakes that are... Uh, gluten-free, dairy-free, and high-protein. This uh, local maker made it. It's called Feel Good Pancakes, and again, it is so good for you. I mean, that's what you, one pancake is going to uh, wake you up in the morning, seriously, um, and and hold you till lunch or even beyond. I, and I, I've come to love it. My husband loves it. We eat it almost daily. Uh, we have a pesto that's made that is just amazing. The, these are our two highest. Um, selling products next followed by you know, some elderberry products and again you don't find a lot of native elder- native minnesota elderberries and then no, i know there's a great elderberry cooperative and they've yes. been really they're trying in to store. they're in your store, store. Okay. i bet you that's the midwest cooperative yeah yes, midwest the elderberry, elderberry cooperative and yeah. that they and and um and it's so that elderberries are also there's there's such potential for um improving the environment if we eat in a way so elderberries yeah. are are great for the environment because they attract pollinators they're good for the soil as opposed to some of the industrial approaches which really um, adds nitrates yes. to the water and depletes the soil and dead zones and climate yes, change yes a lot of our products and 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 I'm getting slow to get there but y- yes the, these uh, items that I've described, I mean, they're uh, sourced locally. So the ingredients, the ingredients that go into these are sourced locally. And I think that the local farmers here really need support, especially now with all this you know, federal stuff that you've here. You know, I mean, 
we, we won't, I won't go there because I don't want to get there. Yeah, but I, I'm sure but you I have think, another segment but no, about but it. But, but no, we, we but, can, let's, let's just briefly go there because um, – and it kind of ties back to this ancestors things that you were asking me about earlier. And I shared with you that, I mean, my, my dad was a child during the Depression and my his sister told me they just had uh, jelly sandwiches except for on Sunday when they went to the farmer's market. But there was a lot of love there. And when you were talking mm-hmm. about the refugee camp and your experience – the the struggles are part of that, and so um, the, what's going on in the rural area. I mean, people are talking about farmer suicide. I have a friend that's a dairy tough. farmer. Things are really tough, are. and we need to form bonds together, which is what completely agree. You know, which is what happened. Um, like uh, one thing I've shared a lot is I'm a truck driver's daughter. There was a truck driver strike. So <sighs> how do we come together? And that's what the co-op movement. Was is is about yes. is how we come together and create something that's yes, and I would say the season you know has borrowed that concept as well. How do the makers come together? What we've added to is that the makers then get to determine their own price, which you don't see in the co-ops right now. But we have reasons that we need the co-ops to operate the way they do. Now seasoned, we let the and and allow the makers to determine their own price because that's what they think it's worth. I mean the the love, not just the love. But the, the labor that went into it from them but all the way to the people they sourced that from. When you talk about love, when you love the food making that you do, you love the land in which the ingredients come from. Because if you don't love the land, you're not going to preserve a land that's going to grow the right food that is going to make the end product of that food taste delicious and be healthy. So along that whole chain, it's really connecting to the earth and utilizing what came out of that earth and respecting the earth. Um, that that is the sort of the the value behind seasoned and the makers that come and join seasoned uh, through the co retailing approach. Now, not everybody wants to do that because uh, it. Well, it, it's uh, we have this cultural uh, economic system that it's it's really hard. It's like the deck is stacked against it love. It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, the deck is stacked yeah. against love. Yeah. You and I sound like hippies from the <laughs> Which is fine. I love hey, we it. got the Beatles yeah, music here. Yes, let's get that going. Let's get that going. Yeah. You know, let's keep the flame yeah. alive and support it. And, yeah. and, and I think grounding ourselves on that ancestor is what keeps it going. Yes. yes. So our produce section is all locally most of it, 99% of it is all locally sourced as well. Uh, we work and, and source from, you may have heard of them, HAFA, which stands for the Hmong oh, American yes, we've had Farmers Association. On. I know every Friday they deliver new products to our, you know, to our store. Um, again, we're helping their farmers, but we're also having variety into the store as well. And really, they HAFA doesn't claim organic, but I know them and I've seen the um, – they make and grow that food with love and that extra care uh, that really respects the land and the makers themselves and the art of growing food. I and, mean, it, I can't grow anything to be alive. And people can go yeah. on their website because they always have yes, a, they they, they invite public to they have a public yeah. event yeah. Um, usually in the fall, and you can go visit the their their beautiful land there. And uh, yeah. yeah, they're down in Hastings. So if you just drive talk, down, you'll see that. Talk but, more about your meal making kits and what's involved in that and how people. Um, where that's located, yeah, where you so, can get that. Uh, the, my meal kits are around some Asian recipes. So I started making the bone broth, the chicken bone broth, really for the purpose of making the pho broth, which you can't have pho if you can't have a great broth. And so that's real pure chicken, you know, bones that's bone broth cooked for a, a long, long time. Um, and so I, 
I use organic chicken, and I source it locally here. I mean, a local butcher that does that. Again, they source it from a couple of different ways. Most of them, I ask if they are Minnesota because I want to stay there. But a lot of times they're Midwestern. If they're Wisconsin, um, that's yeah. still local. <laughs> Iowa's still local. Canada. Sure. Actually, I'd even consider Canada uh, local. Yes, <laughs> I see your background. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's you know to me, local can be geographic, or it's really about the the, the keeping that making very close to the person. It's a lot of hand well, still, not machine. Not machine. And, and and then if you look at the food system as a whole, it's like four companies control 80, 90 percent of the beef and those four companies may have merged into one. I mean, there's just, I mean, there's so much concentration of ownership. And so that will kind of result in certain, from a design perspective, it results in certain consequences. Yes, it, it does. And I, I think that, you know, to feed the world, you kind of need some of those systems. I mean, right. a local food system will probably feed local. But I haven't, you know, I, I mean, I used to work for a big food company. And again, I, I truly believe that, you know, there's a role for all of us. There's room for all of us. There's just, and at the end of the day, we all just need to respect the earth. Exactly. We, we need exactly. to because that's if we don't have that, we don't have us. Right, and respecting water, yeah. and so water-friendly foods and the pollinator-friendly foods, and I, I actually agree with you now on that. You know that there's almost been these demonized, reactive, binary. What they're this, they're that. Oh yeah, we're, I don't like really, this and them. I, I don't I, like I don't. me and them and this and that. It, it's we're yeah. all together. We're all part of the same ecosystem. Right. We have different roles and responsibilities to play. Yes. And if we don't know them, someone will tell us and just listen. That's what the protesters are for. Just listen to them. <laughs> it's really not about them. They're really trying to make you hear something. And so uh, to me, I think we have a way of talking to each other, maybe in a way we don't listen or hear each other. But that's all it is. It's just sort of communication to say, hey, you have a role. You have a responsibility. Here are some of the things that we see. Just consider it. You know? And so I, 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 I definitely support all of the different ways of making food and bringing food to to the world, to the communities. But again, we really need to think about sustainability. We need to really mm-hmm. think about how do we do this in a way that is environmentally uh, safe and preserve our world, right? That's right. At the end of the day, who can't who, – who disagrees with that? Preserve the world. Preserve the world. Otherwise, we won't have it. And Other- where will we go? And and, yeah. and um, yeah, and and so many people are following a path, and they it's 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 hard. It's almost like, uh, well, I'm going to jump to this. We were talking just a little bit about the um, innovation, open learning, and the, 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 that's one area that you've been working with. And there's this great little film out there on uh, from Revolutions 2.0. I hope I have that right on education. And they talk about uh, in that film, they start off with saying, you know, you got this idea of a dreamer or this idea of the dreamer or the dread. And and when we think about the food system. And we often also have that same, oh, all this, you know, think about all the technology and the billion pounds of pesticide use and what we're going to do. And But we've got to find another path. And that other path is how do we design something? How do we make the conscious, deliberate choices to create a system that works in a way that we want it to work? Yes, yes. I, I, I think what you're referring to there is my almost past life. <laughs> uh, in my my 20 years of philanthropy, the last five years I spent at Bush Foundation, and I was um, uh, part of a team to look at how we can transform education for K-12, where all students can succeed. Um, and two revolutions, the organization you mentioned, 
which I haven't seen that video, uh, was a consultant that, that Bush hired that, that I, my team and I hired to do some of that work with us. And so I, it, it might be something fairly new. I've, I've left Bush, mm-hmm. uh, technically done about two months ago, but I'm working on a, a final project with them just to finish up here in the next two weeks here. Um, but yes, the idea of personalizing or individualizing education, I've taken that with me into this food space as well because I think that whether it's in the education system or any of our systems we've become Medical so system, automated yes we've become so automated that we make it a one-size-fits-all and I understand why you know maybe why we started doing that it's it's easier to manage it's a it's a management kind of approach where you can't have so many different approaches who's going you know you don't know what's happening well I think you can uh, when you automate something to make it easy you're missing out and you're not touching and not supporting everyone, whether that's in the medical system. It only, it, it's only going to cut through a segment of the population that you're trying to serve. Same thing with education. If you're teaching to the middle, you're only going to hit the middle. What about those on the you know, high performing or need extra help to get up to speed? You're not touching them. You're only going directly in a segment of that student population. Same thing with food. If you automate it and you make it one certain taste – well, one certain kind of uh, one certain seed. This yeah, <laughs> there's so many taste buds out there. Yeah. So variety is what we need in the education world. When I was at Bush, we call that individualization. Here in food, I think of it as really personal. And if you come into a store, you should be able to find what you need. You should be able to pull the different ingredients together that you need to make the stuff that resonates with you, that you love, that you want. Well. As a person of color, I have to say when I go to our grocery stores today, I don't know why the ethnic food is confined to two aisles. Mm, it's not integrated. It isn't. Yeah, it's over and here on the side. And a lot of it is uh, very shelf-stable, which are mostly dried, uh, preserved in cans sometimes and imported on the shelves. So as a native eater, I don't even buy those stuff. I don't know who's buying them, those two shelves, because it's not meeting my needs as a person that eats different foods from, you know, hot dish all the way to pho to, you know, uh, really fermented papaya salad. Okay? So we have to take a break. We're going to do the last one, uh, last segment's coming up, but then we're going to have to tell people how they make pho and, and how you how you discover that. Yes, we will talk about that. We keep going in these tangents and I never answer your questions, so I will definitely answer that question when we come back. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Laura Hedlund, and in studio with us is Kaylee Yang-Best, and she operates Seasons to Cafe, which is about six blocks uh, west of Cafe Latte on Grand Avenue in St. Paul. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last Just kicking down the cobblestones Looking for fun and feeling groovy so, w- welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Uh, I'm Laura Hedlund, and very pleased to have this conversation with Kayla Yang-Best. Uh, Kayla is an a- attorney. She has a 20-year background in philanthropy, and she's opened uh, Seasons, and you also are a food entrepreneur. So, tell, yes. talk a little bit about your uh, food businesses. Sure. So, I have um, the, my products. There's, there's, there's really two of them with different flavors in it, if you will. Uh, one is the uh, chicken pho broth which is, you know, a sipping broth. You can just buy it. It's frozen. It comes frozen form. You could get it at Seasoned, uh, which is located in Grand Avenue in, in St. Paul. And uh, you can just sip it like any sipping broth. I mean, I love doing that in the morning with some just some chicken broth. I mean, it really energizes you. I mean, if you're going to eat well and 
own your day. Eat well. Eat well. Um, so it's a sipping broth, or you can use it as the base for pho, which is a, um, a Southeast Asian rice noodle soup that was made very popular in the United States and including Minnesota here uh, through Vietnamese uh, cooking and Vietnamese cuisine. It's called pho. And so it's the broth for pho. Pho has a lot of rice noodles, lots of herbs and vegetables, and then topped with the meat. So if you're a vegetarian, I have a vegetarian broth. I have a chicken broth. And again, I sell it at seasoned. It comes frozen in a, you know, 32 ounce. So you can take that, uh, pop it into a pot and thaw it, and then add your rice noodles and uh, all the toppings that you like. You make it your own. That's what's so great about pho. It's, uh, we give you the basics and then you add on top. You can make it very, very spicy, very sour. If you're sour and sweet, uh, uh, and spicy sort of flavored, you know, uh, that you want, or you can make it more sweet and less, less spicy. Yeah. Uh, it's clear. all personalized. It's personalized, very, very, personalized. very personalized. So then that's, that's the, that's the easy one to make that I would say easy, Lazy. Easy, lazy hey. cooking. Right. You know, uh, the other piece is a little bit more in, uh, advanced. Uh, it's a fun noodle kit, which helps you and walks you through how to make your own broth and how to put the whole meal together yourself. In that kit, I have um, my four blends of spices. They're natural spices, so they're not like flavored and bouillon kind of, you know, a seasoning in there. But it, they're the four different blends of spices in there. They're, they're dried, but they're they came from a, a natural form, and so they're packaged in there. That's what you use to season the broth, uh, and then add a little salt and pepper. That's it. That's how natural it is. That's how it should be. And then I also have the rice noodles in there, so that you don't have to go and look for that or buy a big bundle and you don't need. It. And then you just get the fresh items, uh, vegetables, herbs, and if you wanted to make a meat-based broth, you go and buy. I mean, I recommend you know if you want to cook it faster within an hour, buy a T-bone steak and leave the bone in there and just cook the whole thing and then add the spices in there. Or if you're you rather you know want chicken, you know buy a whole you know uh, whole chicken. I mean, it could be cut in quarters, but buy the whole thing, trim the fat off, and then just. Uh, Boil that thing until it comes to a boiling point and then simmer it down and then, you know, cook that for 40 minutes. You'll get some really good broth, especially when you put that seasoning, that natural seasoning in there and add a little salt and put a lemongrass in there. Then you have your broth and then you just soak the noodles and then add them together. You have your whole meal, you know. And if you have a garden that you're growing mint and or basil. Mint uh, grows like a weed once Oh, my gosh. So just, yeah, mint go get some of that. Uh, and if you have, like, lettuce growing, just take, you know, a few leaves and put that on as topping. And the chicken, don't throw them away when you take the salad out of the broth just cut them up and put them on as toppings um and it that's it's a full meal right there that's awesome now we want to make sure you get into what what are the benefits of co-retailing oh there's lots of benefits i can go on from another segment on this but i'll just mention you know a couple key points here i mean there's definitely an art and culture value and that art and culture value to co-retailing is really about uh helping local makers preserve that artistic artistic talent of making food. Slow you down because it, yeah. you told such a beautiful story about your mother. Yeah. And your mother was in a refugee camp selling this the soup y- yes, and raising children. Yes, yes. And that, that skill, that talent that she has, has passed down to me. And, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, as I look around and we get, you know, society's getting so busy, who's making this? And how am I, how are my children going to continue some of this stuff? This is really good, healthy, comforting food. I don't want to lose it. 
I don't want to lose it. I'm sure my mother didn't think of it that way when she taught me the talent. It was basically maybe to be a good housewife. Who knew? But, you know, she taught me, and I knew, and I now I know. I want to pass it on. I want to make sure that next gener- the next generation knows how to make some of this stuff, right? So it's really about preserving that artistic artistic talent of food making whether that's pho or whether that's something that you know you're you're making a you know sauerkraut from did you know this it's not from germany i mean that's not no no it's not from poland it's from china i mean yes (laughs) the the art of making sauerkraut was from uh china but then the germans perfected it and used their term and so now that's stuck which is which is fine that's awesome um but yes it's it's these are all from centuries ago and let's keep it going. Let's keep it yeah. going. And the only way to keep it going is to make sure that there's an economic benefit. So right. I just, People I just, have to make yeah, a living. Yeah. I just talked about the art and culture benefit. Then the economic benefit, again, I think it's about, you know, when you have this local flavor of food coming together, it creates a different um, – it, it creates a, a community around support for those who make this food to make sure that they continue it. And I, I think that local food makers – you know, create businesses that also employ others. But to be able to do that, they have to be able to make a living. They have to grow enough to be able to hire staff. And we've seen that that happens. And so when they when they come to a community, that community also grows. Things grow around that food business. It's just like art. When you bring it and build an art center somewhere, there's other things that complement that art, and you, you grow community in that way. Um, so from an economic benefit, it's not just purely making money and for people to make money. It's really about building communities and growing community and thriving communities, right? Um, and then the final benefit that I wanted to make sure I, I call out here is that, you know, this whole idea of giving access, more access and better access to rural communities and communities of color to get their food out to markets that want them at a competitive price. Um, and I would say that of the products, and I, I mean, I love to say a little bit more about our products, but yeah. of us, some of our products, I mean, we have our co-retailing right now, we're really new. Like I said, we're five months old. We have about 17 co-retailers. We call them co-retailers. They're the ones that come into this pool that says, I want to do this. I want to determine my own price. I want you to sell it for me, and I want 100% of that back. I want to be part of that family, uh, and I want to support that concept, right? Uh, I would say about 45 50% of the folks in that pool are from communities of color. Wow. So tell us some of those businesses that people will find. Uh, well, I mentioned last minute. Yeah, so. that's right. I mentioned some of them earlier. Uh, the Certainly, you know, uh, the Midwest uh, Elderberry Cooperative have five different products in there from syrup to, you know, to uh, juice. They're really good, really healthy for you. They're native berries. Uh, so, you know, you see them all, you know, in other stores, but they're probably imported. This is Minnesota native berries. Uh, there's definitely Jazzy Foods, Crispy Wonton, uh, Fierce Ferments, which is really good gut health because of the fermentation of the, 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 the food itself. There's sauerkraut, there's chili kraut, there's kimchi. That's all part of the Fierce Ferments a product line, and they have several other more others, too. Uh, the pesto I mentioned earlier, really, really yummy, made by a woman down in near Cannon Falls, Minnesota. Um, the pancakes. Oh, wow. It is really, really, really good stuff. This is a really exciting concept. I love it. Again, it's Seasons Food, um, a co-retailing place. First in the Twin Cities, maybe one of the first in the country. Uh- I haven't found it. I've done a lot of research before we started this, and I haven't found it. You know, co-retailing in the food industry. You know, like I said, I can't own all of it. It's food freedom. Yeah, it's food freedom. Uh, thank you so much, Kayla Yang. Best. Have a wonderful day. For having me.